Welcome to the Procurement Show. Hello and welcome to The Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien. And I'm Paul Philpott. My job here is to procure the coffee. And trust me, Jonathan O'Brien likes it very, very strong. This week, we're looking at procurement behind the headlines. And our special guest is Bill Young. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organisations around the globe. Bill Young is the former Head of Indirect Procurement for Syngenta, a former management consultant with PA Group, and for the past 17 years has been helping organisations all over the world, mostly in the life science space as an independent consultant and facilitator. He is also the brains and voice behind the Forum 499 podcast, which considers the procurement stories behind some of the everyday headlines. And it was this that got our interest. So we thought we'd invite Bill onto the procurement show to talk about exactly what is happening behind some of the biggest news stories over the past year. Bill, welcome and thank you for joining us. And thank you very much. I'm very honoured to be asked. Now, we hear all sorts of news stories every day about business, about politics, trade wars, and often we don't stop to think that behind some of these stories are some real interesting procurement challenges. And we really like your podcast, Forum 499. We love how you brought some fascinating insight into some of these stories. So we thought it'd be really good to get you on the procurement show and ask you for your thoughts for some stories for the past 12 months. Jonathan, it sounds like we're going to be playing Have I Got Procurement News for You? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So let's start. And this was the first one that got our attention. A headline in the New York Times a couple of months ago. This was the headline. Cyber attack forces U.S. pipeline to shut. You might remember it. So this was a real big deal at the time. So hackers hacked into an entire oil pipeline supply network and caused the oil to stop flowing. It was a big deal in the United States. People were queuing at gas stations to get their gas and there was a real oil shortage. And we were told that this is a supply pipeline. But Bill, is this really a procurement and supply chain issue? Well, there are the obvious procurement and supply chain issues in terms of the pipeline itself, but there's a much bigger procurement and supply chain issue lying behind it. And that is the cyber attack and the vulnerability of systems to cyber attacks. And that even in itself is not the main problem. The main problem is the invisibility of virtual supply lines, the software systems that we use. And a lot of companies rely increasingly on outsourced goods and services. And where these are software programs, they need application programming interfaces or APIs between them and the suppliers. And what's happened is that we have an enormous invisibility problem in the software that companies are using. And this is creating enormous vulnerabilities. Now, it's not something that I think procurement and supply has fully woken up to. I think the IT people know about this. And there's a thing called the API economy that people are beginning to write about. But it's procurement and supply by any other means. This is an ecosystem, a word I don't like, but there's an ecosystem of software suppliers and APIs all providing an increasing level of services to companies. So I see it very much as the procurement and supply issue that's going to keep the CEO awake 
for the next few years. Bill, where does the disconnect lie here? And how can we start to address these issues to prevent this sort of thing from happening? We need to wake up to the supply lines that are not so visible. In the software area, that happens all the time. So if we outsource HR services, for instance, often we're not outsourcing to people actually doing things. We're outsourcing to an IT system. And we're outsourcing that via an application programming interface that's moving all the data in and out between the two companies. And that might be seen by the IT function, but procurement and supply isn't really awake and aware of the issues that are being raised here. So sometimes we think of these things in terms of an issue with a company, because typically these headlines refer to a particular company that's had a problem. And we might even think, oh, that's a procurement and supply chain issue. But I don't think we think in those terms. I've certainly been guilty of hearing some stories and just not making the connection Mm -hmm. that that's a procurement and supply chain issue. So what does this mean for procurement? What is the role of procurement in organizations for the future to be able to be ready for these things and to deal with them, Bill? Well, disappointingly, I don't think I'm able to answer that in full because I think it's up to each organization. But I do believe that these procurement supply issues are already on the boardroom table and they need to be described as procurement and supply issues. And obviously, the procurement function is in a good position to do that. However, the procurement function isn't always keen, perhaps, to point out to the rest of the organization or to the CEO that everybody in the organization is involved in procurement and supply. So HR is doing it, IT is doing it. And these are big issues and they're executive issues. And I can't help thinking that procurement and supply is the place where the skills lie and the ability to identify the issues and fix them. Do you think we need new skills in procurement for the future? I think the skills are largely already there, but they need to be developed. Now, not everybody in procurement has those skills, but there's a large number of individuals who do have them. I see them all the time. They're talented people, and quite often (laughs) they get commissioned or they get asked by their internal clients to help them to join key teams. But these are individuals. This is not something that systemically runs through the procurement and supply function. It's not a scalable skill or capability. When these people leave the company, that capability goes with them. And I can't help thinking that grouping some of these guys together and turning them into an perhaps an internal consulting function, uh, an internal consulting capability might be an idea. But I do believe that you've got to take away from them the requirement to deliver savings week by week. The Procurement Show. Exploring the more interesting bits about procurement. And now, the Procurement Fun Fact. This edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement, bizarre buying, or simply saucy sourcing. The United States purchased Alaska from the Russians in 1867. They paid 7.2 million US dollars. Russia agreed to sell Alaska to the United States because they thought it was impossible to defend Alaska against their then arch enemy, the British, who at the time controlled all of Canada. So they figured it was probably better to have the United States as their direct neighbour and as a bulwark between them and British-owned Canada. 
the procurement fun fact. Contact us by email. Hello at theprocurementshow.com. Send us a tweet at Procurement Show or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show. You mentioned recruitment and skill set, and that kind of brings us on to the next headline, okay? Like a nice segue there, Jonathan. <laughs> Another recent headline, it's BBC say job vacancies soar as skills shortage bites. It's a recent story about the BBC not being able to hire people or get the talent that they need. Now, I had assumed that this was simply a hiring crisis, yet you suggest this is potentially more of a supply chain issue. Yes. I mean, what are these capabilities apart from something we buy? Okay, we buy them from the employment market, if you like. But something's happening. Something quite dramatic is happening in the employment market. We're seeing something called total talent management. And this is a situation where companies are not getting their capabilities solely from their own staff, their direct payroll. They're getting them from temporary staff, from consultants, from interims, and very importantly, from the staff of their suppliers. Mm -hmm. And all of this makes up a capability base. And yet, if you look at the HR function, all it's doing is managing the staff on the direct payroll. Very few companies are into total talent management yet. And when they're looking for a new capability, they don't think it doesn't really matter where it comes from and advertise it generally. And then, depending on who comes along, decide how they're going to be engaged. Now, there are some core capabilities that you do need to have within the company, but many that you don't. So, yeah, again, it's a procurement and supply issue that is just unrecognized as such. Isn't that a potential threat to a lot of businesses, though? If their talent is tied up elsewhere like that, and then all of a sudden you lose that relationship with the key supplier, you've potentially got a big situation on your hands, haven't you? Absolutely. You've put it very well, better than I can. That's exactly the issue, and that's why it's a procurement and supply issue. Because increasingly, many of the capabilities that companies rely on are external. We are engaging consultants and third parties who are developing things on our behalf, on the corporation's behalf. And the way in which they develop it, the dependencies, they're all external. If we think of our suppliers then, rather than people that supply goods or service, we think of them as value contributors, an extended part of the organization. We kind of get this different perspective of what the role of the supply base is. That brings me to innovation. And an article that The Economist ran recently with the headline, Has the Ideas Machine Broken Down? And the article was suggesting that the link between R&D spend and innovation. So if companies reduce their R&D spend, then innovation drops off. But what about the supply base here? Because the supply base, as we know, is a vast source of innovation if you can figure out how to get it and can be one of the greatest contributors for organizations. And operations people already know really well how to engage with suppliers. But what about procurement? Does procurement need to do more? Does procurement need to change to get more innovation from the suppliers? It does. I think you made a really good point there that operations already know that an awful lot of innovation new ideas, new products come from suppliers, as well as competitors indirectly, one hopes. But procurement, I think, talks a lot about this, but I'm not sure that it's actually working on it or sees its role to acquire some of these capabilities or in new product 
development. So yes is the short answer, but I don't quite know how it's going to work out. Another headline, okay, and this is one which focuses on a topic that we've picked up before on the procurement show, and no doubt we will do so again, from the Financial Times. And it says, G20 ministers, I don't know, why do you always do that kind of voice when you read a headline? <laughs> sorry. It's, it's only you that does that. Oh, sorry, okay, right. headline. Anyway, I'll do it just for dramatic effect. G20 ministers endorse carbon pricing to help tackle climate change. Now, as I said, we've talked about this before and the fact that carbon tax is coming. It's already within some of our everyday lives at the moment. This headline would almost reinforce it. Yet I don't see procurement functions doing much to prepare for this. There's a lot of things that are happening and you look and you think, is procurement ready? This is a big one, much bigger than people think. And each time I look at it, it seems even bigger. The news is even more about internationally government ministers deciding that national is not big enough to tackle this crisis. It has to be international. The Economist has an article on how Europe can face up to it and whether even Europe is big enough to move this forward. One thing is clear, something is going to happen that will affect companies. And it looks like carbon tariffs. Now, if carbon tariffs come in, and as I said, this seems very likely, this will be an enormous extra cost on companies. We're not talking about the sort of carbon pricing that we've seen in Europe, which is almost trivial. It had risen from 20 to 30, maybe it's around $50 per tonne of carbon dioxide. Now, I'm not sure. The carbon tariff when you fill up with diesel or petrol is 300 euros per tonne of carbon dioxide. That's the sort of level that gets people the changes behaviours. And if we're looking at carbon tariffs that will change behaviours, we're seeing some pretty big changes in the cost structure of organisations. Now, some procurement functions have been given responsibilities in this area, but normally it's to support other functions doing it. There really is an opportunity here for somebody to step up and point out to the executive what the full impact of carbon tariffs mm -hmm. would be on an organization. The argument that perhaps all companies will face it isn't good enough because this is going to affect different companies in different ways. What companies need to do is a full audit of the costs of carbon, and not just the direct costs, which I think are scope one, but the upstream costs of embedded carbon. You know, what fuels have your suppliers been using in the goods and services they deliver to you? And what are the downstream carbon impacts of the products that you sell? It's time to ask Jonathan. And today's Ask Jonathan has come into the procurement show by email from Sakshi Sakuri, who says, Dear Jonathan, I am working in procurement in Singapore and following COVID, my company has announced we will now be working in a hybrid model. That's a real buzz phrase, mm, hybrid, yeah, everything's yeah. hybrid. Attending the office part-time, of course, and working much more from home from now on. Many of those from my suppliers' companies are also doing the same. Not much has changed in terms of how my suppliers now operate now things are back to near normal. But should I be concerned that my suppliers are moving to a hybrid model and should I be 
doing something about it? Brilliant. Great question, Saxi. Thank you very much for reaching out to the procurement show with that. This is a big, well, not necessarily problem, but it's a big thing because most organisations are now going over to this hybrid working model. And you kind of think it's taken COVID to do that. We've leapt forward about 10 years in terms of how organisations work and embracing digital technology. So fantastic because we can do the same job we did before, but it means that we don't all need to do the commute. But of course, our suppliers are doing exactly the same thing. Is that something we should be worried about? And the answer is we don't know. But we need to get to understand what our suppliers are doing. There are issues there in terms of data security, Mm -hmm. but there are also opportunities in terms of how having the different people that work for a company where they are, rather than being physically housed in a single building, having this global network of talent connected through technology gives us greater access to innovation in our supply base potentially. So this is a really good thing, but we need to be able to understand exactly what our suppliers are doing, how they're working, how they're making sure that there is data security and data is protected, especially if some of that data is critical to our operations. So it's all about getting to know our suppliers, what is changing, how are they evolving. But we shouldn't see it as a bad thing because this is the future. The one thing that we have learned from COVID is that our supply base all over the world is completely changing and will continue to change and evolve with technology gluing it together. So get to know it, find out more, embrace it, assess the risk, seize the opportunities. Ask Jonathan. Email your question to jonathan at theprocurementshow.com. You might be part of the next show. The Procurement Show. The latest thinking, the greatest insights. You both have discussions within procurement circles every day. You're online presenting and training. and yep. This is one of the subjects that you must certainly have a lot of passion about. Mm-hmm. Are you both not concerned that if procurement isn't taking this seriously enough, perhaps now, then tougher legislation will step in and do it for them? Well, I think that is inevitable because the harsh reality here is we should have started doing something about this 10 years ago and yeah. we haven't. My view is I don't think organisations are deliberately not doing it. I just think they just don't quite know how to organise themselves and mobilise themselves to do it. That's the biggest challenge. And even if they could, where do they start? Bill, is that something that you see? That's absolutely correct, Jonathan. And several leaders in industry have come out recently and said, we cannot do this on our own. All these efforts by individual corporations are laudable, but they're mainly aimed at the share price. Mm. Governments have to step up and do something and organisations will heave a sigh of relief because they no longer have to face this issue. If I do it first, it costs me money and it might lose me customers. So I think we're seeing now pressure from organisations to do it. So it will happen. My point is we're not ready for it to happen. We don't know the impact. Maybe legislation will be the thing that drives Mm -hmm. this. And that's a neat segue into a headline from Germany. (laughs) Germany's Lieferkettengesetz. You can get a cream for that. You know that, don't you? It's a Lieferkettengesetz, the supply chain law. (laughs) That's what I was trying to say. (laughs) Well, you haven't seen the Swiss equivalent, which is the concern for Antwortungsinitiativa. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I was going to mention that, but you beat me to it. So this is the new German law where companies have to ensure that they've taken due care in their sourcing. And more than that, they have to assume liability for what happens with their upstream suppliers. Now, other countries are considering it. You mentioned Switzerland. It hasn't quite been successful in Switzerland yet. So here we've got legislation making companies responsible for what happens in their supply chain. So what are the implications? Is it legislation that's going to drive sustainability? and what procurement needs to do here. And should we be driving sustainability for the organisation? Yeah, what we've done here is we've moved from the carbon one, which I see as a really pressing issue for our times, onto the more general ESG, environment, social and governance area, and especially the social and governance. Incidentally, the Swiss referendum It did get 52% of the vote, but it failed to get a supermajority. Not enough cantons voted for it. So it wasn't that it was fully rejected. It failed to get the supermajority. But this is coming in. And in Germany, a company can be fined up to 2% of global revenue, I think, for its suppliers' issues, things that its suppliers are doing that would offend or contravene German law. That I see coming into other countries. Not all, of course, but a lot of people are looking very carefully at the German law. And I think the public mood is such that other countries are going to follow. So this is coming to a government near you soon. This is going to put a lot of auditing responsibility onto procurements, isn't it? Yeah, of course, at the moment it gets outsourced, doesn't it? So we won't mention companies, but there's an awful lot of environmental audit companies out there who take this off your hands. But it does raise another issue, and that is, what is enough? Is complying with the law enough? Or do some companies want higher standards? Is this something that you cannot have too much of? Where do you stop? What would shareholders have to say? Could shareholders even fine you for doing too much, as has happened in some cases in the past. And at the heart of this, we have procurement not quite having the skills it needs to be able to understand some of its supply chains. Yeah. I'd like to take a look at a UN report now, reported by Al Jazeera March this year, China committing genocide against Uyghurs. Now, Many companies are working hard towards sustainability and wouldn't tolerate slave labour or, of course, child labour in their supply chains. But what about sourcing from Chinese companies using Uyghurs' labour for manufacturing? Uncomfortable? And what about companies dealing with Chinese state-owned companies? There are supply chain issues here for sure. And if we're interested in slavery and child labour, the question is, should we now be more interested if we're sourcing from a country accused of genocide? Yeah, I mean, where do you stop here? And that is really the point. Where do you stop? If you take the ESG issues, I can easily identify 15 separate areas under environment, social and governance. And how do you set out your policy in this area? Who is checking whether the goods coming from China and An awful lot of the world's resources are now in the area where the Uyghurs live, including cobalt. And I think a lot of the material that goes into batteries and cotton even is coming from these areas. And the Chinese government has been accused by an independent commission of modern genocide. And the US government has reinforced that. It was expected that they might pull back 
from this, but the Biden government has actually confirmed its accusation, if you like, against China of supporting a compliance in modern genocide. This is a big issue, isn't it? Mm. I mean, with mm. the role of China and companies dealing with Chinese with less than the visibility they would want, who's dealing with this? Who's talking to the CEO? I think this is a big procurement and supply issue that has to be addressed. Yeah, and I, for one, don't know where we would start with that because you start looking at it, you start realising how dependent we are on many of the Chinese supply chains and data networks as well. So, Bill, you're absolutely right. This is a huge issue and it's one that procurement functions all over the world have to begin to ask those difficult questions which could actually completely change entire supply chains or whether they're viable in the first place. Yeah, it's not enough for procurement simply to say these are really important issues and everybody ought to be turning to us to help them with it. Procurement actually has to step up and do something very uncomfortable and unusual. It has to address these things and own them. Take them to the CEO and analyse the problem, have some sort of solution prepared and make recommendations. It's not enough simply to say this is a problem, we're important, and you should involve us in it. If it really wants to do something, it has to identify solutions and raise them with the executive. And that's difficult. And a lot of procurement functions might well wisely say, that's not for us. We'll stick to savings. Mm. But if they want to stick to savings, then stop angling for a place on the board. Stop talking about a seat on the table. Stop complaining about being ignored. Just do your tactical and operational thing. And don't pretend you're something you aren't. Yeah, wise words. Good, yeah. You wise say words. it how it is, don't you, yeah. Crikey? Yeah. I want to go back in time just a little bit. Do you remember the Ever Given? Yes, That I do. container <laughs> yeah. ship that got stuck in the I Suez Canal. I still cannot get olives. No, exactly. And toilet roll yep. also. Yep. Um, there's a bit of an issue. When was this? This was back in... April, I think. April, mm-hmm. yeah. Have we learned any lessons yet from these kind of incidences? And how is procurement going to prevent it from happening again? Obviously, not prevent a container ship from getting stuck in the Suez Canal now, but prevent what happens, backups. What is procurement going to do about it? Well, you've said it, Paul. What have we learned from it? And I think what we're learning is that there's an awful lot of failure points, choke points in supply chains that we don't see. I mean, who'd have thought of the Suez Canal? But we understand this in terms of internet connections. So most big headquarters have backup cables to provide their internet. That's okay. What about oil pipelines? What about strikes? What are the failure points, the choke points in other supply chains that we haven't thought about? And I mentioned the IT area earlier. That is one of the big supply chains that we don't even think about it as a supply chain, at least Not every IT person thinks of IT supply chains, but these are areas where there are hidden risks. And I think procurement supply activities around the company have to start looking for these and working out what the alternatives are. But I suppose in all fairness, I mean, you've got to balance it out. I know redundancy is a great thing, but you can't exactly have a redundant second Suez Canal, can you? It's Mm. got to be evaluated. How do you evaluate the necessity? Or, and this is, I think, bringing it to the thrust of this entire podcast, 
we're seeing this return to localization. So mm-hmm. goodbye globalization with the dangerous lure of self-sufficiency that rather than trying to source things all over the world, bring it back to local. And that's the kind of buzzword at the moment. And it's not just something that people are doing in response to COVID, but we're now seeing governments beginning to insist on local use, especially in the public sector. So I think my final question for you, Bill, is should we be following this localization trend or should we be pushing back? I think if it's inevitable, if your suppliers are local and if there are no longer international supply opportunities, then you're forced into local. But the basic fundamentals of having free markets and wide and uninterrupted markets stands and always will stand. And so somebody has to push back and say to the executive, we've grown rich as from sourcing abroad, from having longer supply chains, because that increases the number of potential suppliers, the competition to supply us, and helps us to identify the best suppliers. Because to your point earlier about redundancy in supply chains, there can only be one best supplier by definition. Building redundancy into supply chains quite often means using the second best and maintaining a second best solution. So all I'm suggesting is that we look into these supply chains and decide, is it so critical that we need redundancy, that we need to engage the second and third best supply options just to be on the safe side and to keep them warm as a sort of hot standby? Or do we accept the implication that if our sole supply chain breaks, that we can live without it for a while? These are big strategic issues, and I think companies are addressing them. They are the big supply chain issues of today, but I'm not sure that the procurement function under a CPO is always fully on top of these and is engaged in this as they should be. These are big supply chain issues that go throughout the company, but I don't think they're fully owned. Bill's podcast is called Forum 499, and you can hear a lot more about Bill Young talking about procurement behind the headlines. Bill, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Procurement Show today, and thank you so much for sharing some of the insights of these everyday news stories. Thank you. So there we go, another episode of The Procurement Show in the can. Do they still use that phrase? Well, I think they do in the UK. It's definitely in the can. It's not really a physical can anymore. It's a digital thing. Yeah. Oh, what a shame. A digital envelope in hyperspace somewhere or other. So it's Whatever it's it is, we're in there. Another one in the digital envelope in hyperspace. Yeah. But if anyone has any suggestions for The Procurement Show or there is a particular guest or person you'd really like us to talk to, we'd love to hear from you because we are bowled over by how successful this show has been and we're also bowled over by the amount of interest that this is getting so we really want to tackle the things that nobody else is tackling we want to tackle the more interesting bits of procurement and there are some yes and that means we've got to be talking about the right things so let us know if there's a particular thing that you'd like us to cover procurement affects us in everyday life you know how things are bought sold manufactured the supply chain at the end of the day it affects you and i in every single day that we live so if there are questions that you'd like to address as a consumer as well we'd also like to talk about that on the procurement show definitely procurement is the future and never before has there been such a great time for procurement to drive what organizations do some organizations will figure that out others will still be buying stuff in 10 years time some will be successful others less so and that's the difference procurement can make so let us know you've been listening to the procurement show contact us by email hello at the procurement 
connect with us on LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show and on Twitter at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing, all rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.